Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. Today, we're offering five conversations from episode 49, our wrap-up of the Liver Meeting 2023, plus from the vault, Laurent Costera's contribution to our Liver Meeting 2022 wrap-up. This conversation starts with me inviting panelists to discuss what we felt was best in the medication presentations at the meeting. Scott Friedman says that more exciting than anything he saw in NASH, we should not overlook the idea that elafibrinor is preparing to come to market in the U.S. as a novel medication for PBC with good efficacy and safety for patients who do not respond well to ursodiol or beta-colic acid. I note that elafibrinor is one of two PPARs speeding towards market in PBC with exciting data, given what we all heard in the late breaker presentation on Zeladopar. Scott also mentions the Integrin antagonist from Pliant and PSC, a disease with no available solutions today. Laurent Castera agrees with Scott that rare disease drug advances were more exciting than the advances of more common liver diseases at the meeting, including not only NASH, but also FC. I mentioned papers addressing the value of FGF-21 and FGF-19 agents in cirrhosis. They show some promise for compensated cirrhotic patients. Scott politely disagrees, feeling that while these agents might hold the disease constant, they do not address the challenges and mechanisms necessary to meaningfully regress disease in these very sick patients. He and I agree there's benefit to any agent that slows or reverses course of disease even slightly, and that it buys the patient more time to be treated when more exciting medications that are still in pipeline come to market. Scott notes that hepatitis C, a far simpler disease, it took 25 years from discovery to cure on a path of incremental progress. Scott notes that drug development successes are keeping investors interested, which is encouraging in a challenging environment for investors. Laurent Castero returns to the issue of cirrhosis, noting that there are multiple challenges and concomitant bad behaviors like alcohol consumption that make it difficult to treat. He points out that where good studies do exist, these are short studies with small samples. And Scott goes on finally to point out that MASH is less like hepatitis, more like inflammatory diseases, maybe IBD, where the causes of underlying disease are difficult to determine and there is no single pathway to drug development. He buttresses this final point by noting that in clinical trials, resmeterone provided benefit to only 25% of patients. So we have lots of room to improve. As I said in the introduction to this episode, one hour cannot do this conference justice, but this particular conversation hits highlights of one or two of the key issues in Navaldi or Navaldi presented today. So just sit back, listen, learn, feel, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Today's episode of Surfing the Mash Tsunami, reviewing the highlights of TLM 2023, has been sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals is a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a liver-directed THR-beta agonist oral therapy that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. Why don't we dive in by talking about interesting things we saw about medications at the meeting, drugs in development or data on drugs that are currently in market. Scott Friedman. Well, kind of overlooked in all the frenzy around getting close to likely approval in NASH, there, there was a drug trial that basically introduced what is sure to be a new approved drug for PBC, elafibrinor. Data are really convincing. The drug is well tolerated. The New England Journal paper came out literally, I think, the day after the meeting. So it's already passed, you know, intense peer review and it offers a, a straightforward option to uh, patients with PBC who don't respond to either obetacolic acid or um, urso. I thought that was pretty nice. In no particular order, A, I agree with you and B, in some ways, the more exciting thing is that there are two of them, right? Because Celadelpa is also through phase three and reviewed and a late breaker. I've always said 
marketing experience that with the first drug, the question is whether, and with the second drug, the question is which, and the two of them coming on market at the same time will, I think, speed acceptance, speed payer acceptance, frankly, and will allow us to have a much richer discussion about what PBC patients need and the best way to treat them. And that's, that's a tough disease. And I think it's a fantastic thing for those patients. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. The other drug that I was excited about in part because of my own scientific interest was the integrin antagonist by Pliant that at least shows a hint of efficacy and certainly safety in patients with PSC. So that's, you know, PBC, we now have likely four or five drugs and we know that PBC patients are coming to transplant much less than they used to, but PSC, no progress at all, at least in terms of approved drugs ever. So a hint of efficacy is better than we've ever seen at PSC. Noted. Laurent, anything about meds in the meeting that you found particularly compelling or exciting? Laurent Castera. Uh, no, I would tend to agree with Scott. I was more impressed by the rare disease field, the PBC and PSC, than uh, any other field, including hepatitis or I thought it was helpful to spend a little bit more time thinking about the two FGF21 papers in cirrhosis, uh, the Pagosafermin and the Fruxafermin paper, because obviously that's another area that needs a lot of help. And it's starting to look like the class might help. I mean, the EFRUX trial, we're going to have to look at the 52 or 54 week data, I forget which it is. But between that and the Pagosa trial, it does feel like that class of drugs might bring benefit to the case and folks and, and Alpine 4 as well. I entered the meeting hopeful that I would leave the meeting hopeful about cirrhosis. And in fact, I did. I think the, the Advanced, you know, basic basic mash. I agree with you, Laura. Not nearly as exciting as the rare drug stuff, but I thought the cirrhosis was intriguing and potentially helpful. Yeah, I, I have a slightly different bias, Roger, and so far, and based in part on some work we published that I've discussed in a previous podcast. I, I still think that cirrhosis, while it's certainly a continuum from non-cirrhotic mash, has a unique or increasingly unique repertoire of drivers of disease and targets. For a patient with NASH with intermediates F2 or even F3, if you stop them in their tracks in terms of disease progression, you've achieved, you know, at least a significant success by preventing cirrhosis, and the FDA recognizes that. When you talk about cirrhosis, holding steady on the level of fibrosis is not good enough. We really need to have mechanisms that regress fibrosis, and that's a very tall order in that stage of disease, and we don't really have drugs that are specifically aimed at that. You have all the metabolic drugs like the FGF21s, and now, uh, of course, uh, resmediram and others that are looking to extend their potential utility of the drug by showing benefit in cirrhotics, but they're not really designed mechanistically to attack the scar and do the things that a cirrhotic liver has to do to get better. So I'm cautiously pessimistic, shall we say, that there's going to be major breakthroughs with the existing drugs and cirrhosis because none of them have a direct action that should be resorbing scar, even though we attenuate the injury. So I guess part of what I bring to a discussion like this is the perspective of having had about a metastatic melanoma 11 years ago and understanding at that point in time that if you've got a disease for which there isn't a lot to treat it, the trick is stay healthy until the drugs catch up. So if in fact those drugs can merely attenuate, but they buy us time or they buy patients time for us to get to better agents, to me, that's a huge step in the right direction. I couldn't agree more, Roger. Given that we have a desert of approved drugs right now, as a matter of notwithstanding, any improvement is 
welcome and urgently needed. I, I, you know, I keep coming back to the example of Hep C, which was an unknown virus in 1988. In 1989, it was discovered, and it's a single virus. It took 25 years to come up with curative therapies, which are miraculous, of course. But that was a simple disease. It was a single virus, albeit many quasi-species. The livers responded more or less the same with variable vigor of fibrosis, and still it took 25 years. And the progress was completely incremental. It started with monotherapy with interferon, then ribavirin, then pegylated interferon, then uh, direct-acting antivirals, and then, you know, the pure direct-acting antivirals without interferon and ribavirin. And that took a long time. So I think we need to hopefully continue to see progress to keep patients hopeful and their providers, and frankly, to keep funders and investors interested as well. Because as you know, I interface a lot with uh, commercial entities and they have a terribly short attention span. If they don't see return on investment, you know, in, in an unreasonable amount of time, they pull out and look for some other disease of the day. So unfortunately, we have to also attend to the needs of those stakeholders because in the end that their investments drive smaller companies in particular to make progress. I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the exciting things was noting how many of the smaller companies have been successful at raising money, right? I mean, I think Magical just raised a half a billion dollars or something like that. Seema Bay raised uh, $224 million for Cell Delpar and PBC. Acaro just had a raise. A whole bunch of people have been raised, have this year been able to raise money, whereas for the previous two or three years, nobody wanted to. Yeah. And that's in what is still a very challenging climate for biotech investment. But these opportunities seem fruitful enough that investors are willing to commit. So that's a really good sign. Yes. No, okay. Coming back to cirrhosis, again, I agree with Scott. It's not an easy task. Of course, we can learn from EPSI, but this is a very different setting. I mean, we don't have, of course, a good surrogate as HCD or INE, for instance, like in EPSI. Also, there are a lot of comorbidity that complicate. I mean, these patients are much more difficult to handle than the patient with HCV. Even some of them happen to be overweight or drink a little bit. Uh, it was much more easy than in MASLD. And I mean, there's a lot of issue when you want to develop a drug in, in this setting. Might be also DDI because most of these patients are taking a lot of drug. Uh, adherence, of course, or safety. And for the moment being, you, we've seen that the few drugs that are currently under study are pretty well tolerated. But don't forget, these are very small samples, so you need to be cautious and we need more data. And the data that have been presented, actually, they were limited by the fact that we're either small cohort or short follow-up, you know, or interim analysis. Uh, so it's difficult to, to figure out what is going to happen. Laurent, you bring up a really interesting point, and I'd like to frame it, uh, not differently, but a little more broadly, which is we were spoiled by hepatitis C when we finally got the direct-acting antivirus. It was test and treat, you know, give them with few exceptions, a standard regimen and they're done. And that was it. Um, you know, NASH, I think we need to think of more like we think of other chronic inflammatory diseases. And the analogy I always think about is inflammatory bowel disease, because you have patients who show up with, you know, symptoms in this case. They have histologic evidence of colonic inflammation. They're tried on the first drug. Some respond, many do not. And then they go to a second drug, then they go to a third drug, all the time with no clues as to why they responded or didn't respond. And we're in a similar situation. And, you know, I think the proof of the pudding is even though Madrigal's drug is likely and hopefully will be approved, it only benefited 25% of the patients. So we have a long way to go. So, you know, an approved drug is fantastic, but that's really just the beginning. Today's episode of Surfing the MASH Tsunami, reviewing the highlights of TLM 2023, 
is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals is a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a liver-directed THR-beta agonist oral therapy that is designed to target key underlying causes of NASH. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a topic still to be determined. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.